Welcome to the Abundant Life Church Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message by Pastor Russ Cordell. For more information about Abundant Life Church, please visit www.abundantlifechurch.org. I'm just going to teach a little bit tonight. Is that all right? Is anybody in the mood for a little teaching? Learning, a little bit, little bit of things. But I, when I teach, I want to encourage you too, and, and I want to strengthen. And, and so as I teach, and many of you that teach Bible studies, it said, you know, when you teach, you learn a lot too, and God speaks to you. And I just, I'm excited to share some things with you, but I want to teach a little bit tonight. Luke chapter 2, go down to verse 49. Luke 2 and 49 says, and he said unto them, how is it that ye sought me? He's talking to his mom. This is Jesus talking to his mom and dad. This is that point when they were in Jerusalem, and he sort of, he was a 12-year-old little boy, and he kind of slipped off on his own, and they dis, he disappeared, and mom and dad got real worried. And suddenly, they, they, they directed themselves back to the temple, and lo and behold, there he was. And he was sitting in the temple, and he was teaching the scholars that were in there, and the leaders and the teachers that were in there. And he said unto them, how is it ye sought me? What are you looking for me for? Well, that was kind of cheeky. Wist ye not that I must be about my father's business? Twelve years old, he was already on his way. Wist ye be that I must be about my father's business? I want to talk to you tonight about, about my father's business. Being about my father's business. I want to talk about soul winning. If you were to be honest with yourself tonight, you don't have to raise a hand or anything like that, but if I gave you just 30 seconds, if I gave you a minute would there be somebody in your mind that would come to that you know is not currently serving the Lord, that you would love to be a key component, you'd love to be a person that brings the gospel into their life, they listen to you, they're drawn by the Spirit of God, and they find their way to an altar and give their life to the Lord? Is there anybody in the room that could do that with me tonight? Okay? If, there's, if you're not in that category, you, you might want to go home. Soul winning is a challenging thing. And when we talk about soul winning and we say things like soul winning, it invokes ideas and things in people's minds of knocking on doors and scary stuff like that and, and talking to people who don't want to hear about your church and et cetera, et cetera. Just the phrase by itself, soul winning, imparts something that, that causes people to repel. I don't know how to do that. I'm not a soul winner. There's some people that have defined for themselves that, well, I just found this way through scripture that I can just compartment, compartmentalize myself into some other kind of a role in the church. I'm very comfortable in this little role that I have. I'm a Sunday school teacher, and that's how I make a difference. And that's good, and that's a good thing to do. But I need to tell you tonight, and I need to tell you what God is telling all of us, that every Christian's job, every Christian's job is to be a soul winner, not just a soul tender. It's good to tend to the souls. It's good to tend to the flock. It's good to be about the business of the Lord in those ministries as well. But every Christian's job is to be a soul winner. Proverbs 11.30 says it so beautifully. It says, the fruit of the righteous is a tree of life, and he that winneth souls is wise. Someone once asked the famous Lyman Beecher, the great preacher, Beecher the preacher. He, they said, Mr. Beecher, 
What do you consider the greatest thing a human being can do or be? Without hesitation, the famous pulpiteer replied, the greatest thing is not that one should be a scientist, important that that is, nor that one should be a statesman, vastly important as that is, nor even that one should be a theologian, immeasurably important as that is. But the greatest thing of all is for one human being to bring another human being to Christ. Amen. So I want to share with you tonight 10 things, just 10 little pieces. You can take notes if you want to. Go back and listen to the recording. 10 little pieces about soul winning. I want to plant some seeds. We're going to have a soul winning boot camp coming this summer. I'm going to announce it. I'm going to run it. Anybody that wants to come. And we're going to have a ball. And I'm going to bring resources. I'm going to bring some people that are great soul winners. And we're going to have an event and anybody that wants to learn how that truly in their heart says, I want to win, I want to win before God comes. I want to win at least one soul can come to this event and we're going to have a ball and we're going to learn how to be champion soul winners. Amen? How many in this room knew that the first soul that I ever won to the Lord is sitting right there in the front row? I was a missionary dater. At the time, I got a couple of furrowed brows, but one of our first dates, I brought her to church. Went and tried to teach her Bible study at her, at her house with her family. I got a little bit ways through it, but started coming to church. Brother Mike Paff, for those of you who know him, prayed her through the Holy Ghost. She was baptized by Manuel Rogers. She was my first soul win. So I'm done. That's, that's all good. No, I'm kidding. Ten things I'd like to share about soul winning. Let's talk about soul winning people. A lot of people believe that soul winning and filling the church is the business of the preacher or the business of the evangelist, the business of the super Christian. You know, sometimes we look around the room and say, well, you know, I know Mary. She is just, she is a super, super soul winning person. She's always testifying. She's just got something special that I don't have. Some people believe it's just the business of that, but it's not. It's the business of every Christian. And if you desire, and if it's in your heart to do so, you can experience the incredible joy of what it is to see a soul come to the Lord because you took the time to learn how to do it and to learn how to operate in the business of soul winning. Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 11, many of you are very familiar with this scripture, can quote it with me, and he gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry and for the edifying of the body of Christ. Paul said to perfect the saints, the Greek word you've heard me say before, literally means to equip the saints. Now, does that mean that pastor can sit on the easy chair and just kind of tell you what to do about soul winning? Absolutely not. I'm teaching Bible studies right now. I'm working on soul winning right now. And it's my job also because I'm also a saint of the church. But to sit back and to say, pastor, it's your job to fill these seats. It's your job to be the soul winner in the church would be wrong. And no one in this room has said that to me. But, but that's a common theme amongst Christianity. And so it's incorrect. My job and the job of the pastorate here and the leaders is to equip or perfect the saints in the job of soul winning. No church is a success in God's eyes 
until its members, not as pastors, but its members are equipped to do the work of the ministry. No church is really pleasing to God uh, 100% until until that church gets the idea that every Christian's business is to do the work of the ministry. But everyone, until everyone, is sharing that same goal, sharing that message of salvation everywhere you go, you're not going to be doing what God would have you do. I'm founding this, I'm basing this in Scripture. It's the Word of God. This is not my opinion. It's very important we understand that. And until I can stir the hearts of the people in the church and every other pastor does the same to get busy at getting the gospel out day and night, I have not succeeded as a pastor. You see, that's a failure on my part. And so what I'm doing tonight is I'm sharing with you what's the burden of my soul. These signs that are around the building, this Save Our Nation stuff we're talking, inviting people to family game night and VBS and getting involved with connect groups, being an organizer for connect groups, getting involved in our life groups. This is the effort and the goal and the purpose of the church and the pastor. And until I stir that up in everybody, I have not succeeded. And trust me, I want to be a successful pastor. I'd like to get there someday. But nobody is excused from winning souls. Look at Luke 8, chapter, uh, excuse me, Luke chapter 8, starting at verse 4. I don't think I have it on the screen, but I'll paraphrase it here quickly for you. It's the parable of the sower. The sower went out to sow, it says. This is an unnamed person. This is not a preacher, a teacher. It doesn't say the pastor went out to sow. It didn't say the farmer. It said a person. The sower went out to sow. Just a sower. Every person in the church should be a seed sower. And you know what, folks? We can't wait till they're dying. I've talked to people in the past about that coming up. They wait. Mom's dying of cancer. I've got to get out there. She's got to get baptized. I've got to teach her. We can't wait until they're dying. Realize that our relatives may die before the morning. It's a harsh thought, Pastor, but it's reality just spoke to a friend of mine a day or two ago, a person I do a little side business with. I've witnessed to him. I've invited him to church. Hadn't talked to him for a few months. Called him up. I was talking to him. And he says, oh, Russ, you probably didn't hear. And I said, hear what? He said, I was in Florida uh, um, on New Year's Eve. He said, my daughter was at a mall with some friends. We were on vacation. I got in the car. My wife was in the front seat. My son was in the back seat. We were driving to pick her up. We were T-boned and they were both killed. I was in shock. I, I, said, I said, Dan, I'm so sorry. I, I had no idea. I hadn't gotten a word. No one said anything to me. I, I'm a pastor. I'd be there for you. I, I, I would have come. He said, no, no, no. I was surrounded with a family and people in my church and so forth. But he said, I, I just I couldn't believe it. He said, in just a minute, my whole life changed. They were sitting on the beach the day before planning to buy a condo and retiring down there. And my heart ached for him. I've stood in her presence and talk to her about our church. I've invited them to church. We can't wait. We can't assume that there's that time. Jesus could come before the sundown. Let's go and save them now. Amen. 
The power of new converts is incredible. And if you guys have experienced this and you remember back, if you reach back into the time when you were new converts, what, what's it like with a new convert, right? They get this great experience. They realize there's all that they've never saw this their whole life. They're so excited. They're so full of zeal. What do they do? They run out and tell everybody, you got to come to my church. This is great. They love me there. I got to talk to the Lord. I was saved. I got baptized, right? But something happens. Something happens in the course of time when we get comfortable and we get kind of easy and, and that zeal kind of wears off and we get enough rejection from the people that we talk to that we get dissuaded because Bob didn't come and Mary didn't come and Fred wouldn't talk to me and, and Aunt Sally and, and, and uh, Uncle Joe and so on and so on and we get dissuaded. We, we run out of juice of that because we think, well man, I, I, I'm completely ineffective. I wasn't able to do anything with anybody and we stop or we get so much lighter in our efforts and folks, I want to tell you, there's no greater joy. There's no greater juice and excitement. There's nothing that can beat depression and beat problems and overshadow the things that you deal with in the course of your day-to-day -day life. There's nothing like winning a soul to make all of that irrelevant in your life. Soul winners are happy. Soul winners are excited. Soul winners are fired up. They're infectious. They're people that just want to keep on getting out there and seeing another soul saved. I don't want to lose that feeling. I love it when a Bible study works out and they come. I, I, I had that experience here, a, a tough soul uh, during COVID. I was teaching a Bible study and all of a sudden I got a phone call one day. Tough, tough, not to crack. Got a call one day. I'd like to get baptized, Pastor. Can I come in? Absolutely. Oh man, I was just a dancing. I was so excited. He gave me COVID. No lie. <laughs> We came out of the water. Hey, the restaurants are open. Let's go get a bite. I said, yeah, it sounds like a good idea. <laughs> Sat there eating a hamburger in COVID-19. But you know what? Another soul went down in the waters of baptism. And I was so excited. Thank you, Jesus, for your word. Thank you, God, for the spirit that drew that soul. Thank you for something that said, yes, now it's time. And I love that individual. I'm not going to shame them or, or make fun, but I love that individual, and I was excited. In John chapter 4, when the woman at the well received the living water without a soul-winning lecture, she didn't get a lecture, she didn't get uh, a hearing, she didn't uh, have a sermon taught to her, she wasn't a, attending a soul-winning conference or hearing a Sunday school lesson or a sermon. The first thing she did, just from having that interaction with Jesus, the first thing she did is she ran into town to say, come and see a man. Remember, which told me all the things that I did not know of myself or that he could not know that ever I did. Is not this the Christ, she said? She was so excited, she ran right into town. The most effective soul winners are new converts. They get the idea that the whole world ought to be saved and they get saved themselves. And then they think if God saved them, he's got to save the rest of their friends, right? That beautiful, precious naivete sometimes results in a whole lot more people come with them. So you know what abundant life really needs? Abundant life could use a whole slew of new converts because new converts get excited and new converts share their infection. I just had a wonderful conversation Sunday morning with a lovely lady that's been coming to church as a new guest. And she's so excited. I don't know who of you talked to her or embraced her, but she was just beaming about the folks from our church that everybody came and talked to me and I just I said to her I said do you feel at home here do you feel you feel like you're at home she said I sure do and I'm gonna bring my son Amen. and I'm gonna baptize her 
coming up here very shortly. She prayed the prayer of repentance. And I said, well, when you're ready to be baptized, she said, go out there. I said, hey, come in on a Tuesday morning. Come in on a Thursday afternoon. I don't care. She goes, oh, I can do it that way. I said, absolutely. We'll get you set. But you made an impact on this lady. And there's going to be a soul that's one to the Lord. Heaven is going to rejoice when she goes down in those waters of baptism. And there's going to be more excitement. And guess what she said? I want to tell everybody. I want to tell my, she said it right there. She said, I, I want to tell my son. I want him to come. And I've got to tell my family. Everybody's got to know about this great church. That's what she said. I was so excited and proud of my church. Proud of my soul-winning church. The soul-winning power is revealed to us in Acts chapter 1 and 8. You've heard me quote this many times. I think I quoted it last week. Acts, Acts chapter 1 and 8, Jesus said, But ye shall receive power. After that, the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and ye shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the uttermost parts of the earth. Not by might nor by power, it says in Zechariah 4, 6, but by my spirit, saith the Lord of hosts. Some people can out-argue you. They can out-reason you. But they cannot out-argue or out-reason the Holy Ghost. The Holy Spirit convicts the sinner. That's the way this works. Right? So that power that we get, it is directly related to witnessing. He didn't say, you shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you so you can be a successful Christian and live comfortably for the rest of your life. He said, you're to be witnesses to me in all of the world. Zechariah said, not by might, not by power. And it's a different word, power, there. The power in 1.8 is dunamis. The power in Zechariah 4.6 means strength. But by my spirit, saith the Lord. Remember when you first heard the word. Remember when you first heeded the call. Remember when you were first filled with the Spirit. How did you feel? Do you refresh that feeling every once in a while? Do you, do you just, I remember that day, and oh, I was so excited, and I felt so refreshed. That's what you can share. That's what you can share. They can out-argue you on theology. They can talk to you all day or argue circles, but they can't argue your experience. They can't take away from you what happened, what your old life looked like, and what your new life looked like. You've been transformed. Your mind, your spirit, and your body, you have been transformed by the power of the Holy Ghost and the waters of regeneration, it says in Titus chapter 3. You've got a testimony to tell that nobody can argue with. Nobody can take away. And as you're sharing that testimony, now you got to hear me on this. This is critical. As you're sharing that testimony, we don't have an activation button. There's not a cord we pull. We don't click our heels three times and suddenly the Holy Ghost activates. It's not, we're not a, we're not a transformer. We're not an electronic toy with two D-sized batteries. We are a Christian full of the Holy Ghost. And when you begin to testify, it just automatically happens. The Holy Ghost raises up inside you and it starts to project over to that person and those words begin to convict and speak and plant seeds into those people. You don't have to do anything else. You don't even have to replace the batteries. All you've got to do is tell the story of what happened to you. Isn't that exciting? That's how easy it is to be a soul winner and you can do it. The power of soul winning is the Holy Ghost. Now, you could say, well, I know there's, there's some organizations out there that, 
They don't have the Holy Ghost that we understand, that we know. They claim it. They talk about it. It's, it's in the nature of worship. You know, when churches that don't really preach the Holy Ghost worship, there's still some spirit there. You know that? God's going to reign, and he's going to inhabit the praises of his people, not just one organization, not just one particular people or one people that fully teaches the full truth of the Holy Ghost in feeling. He's there with the praises of his people. Those people are just in a step. They're just coming up. Come on, right? So if that's the case, if the power is the Holy Ghost, then those that preach the full Holy Ghost message, the full Holy Ghost truth, I would think we'd be the best soul winners there are. He said, well, I look at some of these big box churches and some of these entertainment churches, and man, they're just raking people in like crazy. That's true. But it's fleeting. And it's entertainment. And it's not soul-saving. And you would not believe how many of those pastors and how many of those people are rolling right out the back door. And those pastors are quitting. And those pastors are leaving and churches are closing their doors at a rapid rate. The, the, uh, if you look at research at Barna, I mean, the numbers are staggering, but this is amongst evangelical churches in the United States because they're not operating in the power of the Holy Ghost, the witnessing element that we carry in within us. It's important to understand that. So let's look at the soul-winning program. We've got to have a program, right? The great, that was facetious. The Great Commission says, go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature, not just some, not just a few, not just one or two, but all, every creature, every person needs to hear the word. Listen to Ecclesiastes 11 and 6. It says, we read in that passage, in the morning sow thy seed, and in the evening withhold not thine hand, for thou knowest not whether thou shalt prosper. In other words, don't say, well, I haven't been good at it before, so I'm not going to be good at it again. That's not for you to call. That's not your decision. It's the decision of the Lord. Either this or that, or whether they both shall be alike good. That's not your decision. Don't, don't withhold because, eh, it hasn't worked. I give up. I'm a Sunday school teacher. I play the piano. Just kidding. You see what I mean? Isaiah 32, 20 says it this way. Blessed are ye that sow beside all waters. Some waters don't look so good. And that's not talking about literally water. It's talking about people. Oftentimes in the Bible, oceans and waters are a representation of the masses of people. And sometimes those waters are tough and they're rough and they're, and, and, and they're not easily traversed and, and they don't look so good. But don't make that judgment. That's not your call. That's not your call. I've shared, I've shared this story with you guys several times. I had a young man. And pardon me, but, but if I'm repeating myself, but I have to get this across. This young man, my wife will remember very well, this young man named DJ. You guys remember this story? He's a guy that came into the church. He was a young man. We were youth helpers up in, up in the Dells Church at the time when my job transferred. And, and DJ was a rough and tumble guy and pierced and beards and, and all this kind of stuff and tattoos and everything. But I saw a sweetheart. And he stood in the foyer and the church had already begun the singing and he was looking through the doors and he looked over there and he said, ah, oh, none of that stuff is for me. He said, I'm a child of the devil. I said, okay, well, DJ, come on in. Let's go into our youth class. What was it, three months? Three months we were praying him through to the Holy Ghost and we were baptizing him in Jesus' name. That sweet young man, Mr. Rough and Tumble, leather and piercings and everything, went home. Nobody said a word to him. Went home, shaved, took all that stuff out, put on a suit, put on a tie, and showed it. He went out to Goodwill. The poor guy had no money. Went out to Goodwill and bought a suit three times too large. That's all he could find. But he wanted to come to church and look sharp. 
Don't ever judge somebody. Don't ever decide that your seed isn't going to go in that place or this place or that place. You just keep on casting. All waters deserve the seed to be cast. Amen? All right. We're not only to sow everywhere, but we're also to sow all the time. Ecclesiastes 11.4 says, He that observeth the wind shall not sow. What that's saying is if you wait for the conditions to be favorable or good, you're just not ever going to do it. And sometimes we're full of excuses. When I get this taken care of, I'm going to start witnessing to people. When I, when I learn a little bit more about the Bible, or my kids grow up and I'm not so active, and, and et cetera, et cetera. The Bible says that he that waits for all conditions to be favorable will never sow. In the soul winning program, we're to sow everywhere and we're to sow all the time. The job that you have is to determine what your seed is. What is your seed? What are you going to say? Do you practice it? Do you care? If you're good at your job, if you're good at your craft, if you're good at some practice that you have or a sport that you participate in, it's because you worked at it. It's because you trained. It's because you studied. And if you want to be good at knowing what your seed is and how to throw it and how to sow it, you need to study. Write your testimony down. Trim it down. Make it something you could tell somebody in an elevator in a three-minute ride. We used to call that in sales the elevator speech. If you walked into an elevator and a prime candidate for a purchase of your product is standing in that elevator and you've got a closed caption opportunity to sell that guy, you needed to have your elevator speech ready and it couldn't be more than three minutes what are you going to say? Folks, take an index card. Take a notepad and just write down what was that awesome experience that happened to you? What was your testimony? What happened to you when some seed was sown towards you? That's all you have to do. And then just get good at it. If you put more effort into being great at your job and your craft work and your sport than you do at sowing seed. Not good. Okay? Let's look at Psalm 126, 5 and 6. The Bible says that we're to sow in tears. That verse says, They that sow in tears shall reap in joy. He that goeth forth and weepeth, bearing precious seed, shall doubtless come again with rejoicing, bringing his sheaves with him. So I'm supposed to stand there and bawl while I'm talking to somebody about my testimony? Absolutely not. What that means is, is we're to be compassionate. You know, you can tell your story cold and crass and just, you know, yeah, one day a guy I was working with came over and he was telling me about the Bible. And, and so, you know what? I, I, I really liked it and I went to church and that's where I go now. Or you can sit down and you can use a tone and say, I was a mess. We were so broken our marriage was this, or our family was that, or my, my spirit was this. I was so depressed. And one day, this sweet, precious saint, somebody I didn't even know was a Christian right away, came over and said, I got a testimony to share, blah, blah, blah. You see what I'm saying? But you can get some compassion and some passion into that seed and sow it with compassion. That's what it means to sow with tears. Uh, Paul said it. He said, I cease not to warn everyone night and day with tears in Acts 20 and 31. He meant with compassion. He compelled people. Listen, Sister Wendy, you've got to hear my story. I know you're not favorable toward church. I know you had a bad experience, but trust me, there's something special that I've experienced, and I've got to tell you. Is that so hard? If it's from here, if it's from here, and you feel it, and you mean it, right? 
Remember what Jeremiah said, oh, that my head were waters and mine eyes a fountain of tears. In other words, oh, that I had the right level of compassion always for the people who are, are lost. And we should. We should weep for people who aren't saved. We should have that thought on our minds. I told you about an experience I had one night. We went out, Dave Z. We went out with a group of guys. Remember, we went to the Admiral's game. Got tickets from your company and had a group of guys that we were laughing, having a good time. It was a Friday night. And uh, we come walking down that tunnel, right? And that, uh, that area, that thing seated like 20,000 people at the time. I didn't ask for this. I wasn't looking for it. I was thinking about hockey. I was thinking about my buddies. And I walked out of that tunnel and I looked and all of a sudden I saw 20,000 people and it hit me like a freight train. Who's gonna talk to these people? What's, what happens if the rapture happens tonight? Who's gonna reach all of these people? And a deep compassion came over me and I went, wow, God help us to care. God, help us to reach these folks. Please, Lord, send somebody their way. It was the strangest experience I'd ever had. I'd never, I didn't ask for I wasn't looking for that. But I believe in my heart that what Jeremiah was saying is that all the time, everywhere we go, there should be a component of compassion for every soul that we encounter. If you're paying for your gas at the counter and, and the, the gal behind the counter, just this nice lady, it should hit you. Does she know the Lord? Could I say something? Do I have a I love my church card? You see what I'm saying? Sowing seed. Sowing seed. All right, I'm almost done, so I'm going on 7.30. The soul-winning purpose, number one, it causes, us, it causes rejoicing in heaven. Heaven does not rejoice when we build big buildings. Does that shock anybody? Heaven does not rejoice when we have great offerings. It doesn't rejoice when we have better attendance or great music, which we do. There is more rejoicing, it says in Luke 15 and 7, in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 just persons who need no repentance. Heaven rejoices when one sinner repents. That sweet lady sitting in that room on Sunday morning, repenting, beautiful, and heaven was rejoicing. The angels were singing. It promises rewards additionally. In Daniel 12 and 3, we read it this way, and they that be wise shall shine as the brightness of the firmament, and they that turn many to righteousness as the stars forever and ever. What a wonderful promise. Turn some to righteousness, and you will shine forever and ever. Soul winners are going to shine in heaven. Soul winning pleases God too. Jesus' purpose uh, was soul winning. It's why he came. It says in Luke 19, 10, for the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which is lost. In Mark 10 and 45, it says, for even the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister and to give his life a ransom for many. Jesus did not come to make a better world. We need to understand that. He didn't come to help social matters or improve living conditions. He came for one reason and one reason only, to save sinners. That's it. Soul winning can produce finances, and this is a component, and I would never, ever want to speak in terms of winning souls in relation to, to filling our coffers, but this is true. Listen to what God instructed Peter to go fishing, saying, the first fish you catch, take the money out of its mouth and go pay your taxes. 
That is a relation to winning souls, fishing for men. We are fishers of men. When we get serious about fishing for men, God will take care of our finances. I just want to be, I'm just being open and honest and practical on paper. If all of these seats were full, there'd be some things happening differently. Okay, I'll just leave it at that. I'm closing and you can stand with me tonight. Our music team can come if they're in here. Soul winning produces something else that's very, very important. And I hope you catch this. Soul winning produces love. I barely know that lady I talked to, but I want to tell you she is a sweetheart. And I truly, honestly love her and care for her. She is the sweetest person and so desperate for God and for peace. John 15, 16, and 17 says, Jesus said, You have not chosen me, but I have chosen you and ordained you that you should go and bring forth fruit and that your fruit should remain. These things I command you that you love one another. The command is to produce fruit. You read it right there. Bring forth fruit and that your fruit should remain. The fruit is to remain, is to stay, is to be taken care of and discipled in love. And of course, the fruit is souls that we win to Christ. Sometimes people like to say that fruit is love and joy and peace, and it is. That's the fruit of the Spirit. But this fruit, the fruit that we bear, like the fig tree that had blossomed and had no fruit in it, what did Jesus do to that fig tree? Cursed it. Shriveled up. When we're producing this fruit, we will love one another. The soul-winning church is a happy church. Soul-winning is the greatest business in the world. Simple. And I want to be about my father's business. This altar is open tonight. I'd like to come down together as a church. And let's commit to doing what we can to be soul winners. Amen? 7,552 souls as of 2015, 2018 reside in the city of Delafield. How many, what percentage do you think of that they know God truly? 16,847 souls in the city of Oconomowoc. What percentage do you think that truly knows God? 2,318 souls in Dousman, 2,588 souls in the city of Wales. What percentage of them do you think knows the Lord? Do they have tomorrow? Are they going to make it to tomorrow? Because my friend Dan's wife, she didn't make it to New Year's Day. I had an opportunity to minister to her. I invited, but I don't know that I planted the seed well enough. And now I don't have a chance. Let's make a commitment in our hearts to be soul winners. Amen? This altar is open. I love you, church. Thank you for hearing me out. Thank you for listening to this Abundant Life Church podcast. We pray it has strengthened your relationship with God and will continue to be a light unto your pathway to heaven. If you have any questions or comments regarding this podcast, please telephone our ministerial team at 262-965-5177 or email us at info at abundantlifechurch.org.